Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Right, it's time for yet another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, Penn Lies Penn State Football Podcast. I am Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle, as always. It is uh, May fifth, Greg Pickle, as we as we take this a Wednesday. I'm I'm already calling it Cinco de Mudo because it's just a uh, quagmire in Harrisburg. I think a lot of people had some. I'm not saying it was me. Uh, some people had some outdoor drinking plans today. I think they've fallen by the wayside. But hey, we're gonna we're, despite that disappointment, Greg. We got a lot of Penn State news to get to. I don't think I've talked to you in a while. How are things going for you in the greater Middletown area? Well, Bob, we're trucking along here in the month of May. You know, it's amazing to think that spring practice is now over. The NFL draft is now over. And for (laughs) Penn State, they really just have a month until, actually, it's less than a month now, until the dead period ends and recruiting visits can begin again. So James Franklin and his staff have plenty of work to do to keep lining those up, get ready for a bunch of camps in June, and really make sure they put themselves in position to grow the class of 2022 and beyond. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of recruiting news. It's not good news, Penn State fans, at the end of this uh, Penn State podcast, but it is it is interesting news, and you're going to want to hear that from Greg. But Let's. I mean, it's been a, it's been a few days, but let's let's just start with the draft, Greg. It feels like I don't know about you, but it feels like since Penn State had their pro day, I think it was March 25th up there. We didn't get to go, but we were able to participate uh, in some uh, in some zooms, and we found out how people did. It feels like it's been one gigantic Micah Parsons victory lap since uh, since March 25th. He's been in the spotlight quite a bit. Um, and we've done, obviously Penn Live has done a lot on Michael Parsons. No one knows that better than you, but his, his NFL, uh, profile is even more heightened now, Greg, because of, I would argue because of the team that took him, he is now going to quickly become, uh, kind of a national rookie this year. The Cowboys took him, uh, after trading with your Philadelphia Eagles, they traded back. They took him number 12 overall. Surprised some people, but he was part of a draft class of Penn State players. I want to say that is, I think it was a half dozen. They had three go. One, they, had, they had two go in the first round, one go in the second round. <laughs> and then I think they had three go back to back to back in the seventh round. I don't think I'm missing anyone, but I believe it was six players, Greg. Let's just start with Micah. We can get to the other guys in a little bit, but. Just your thoughts on what you've seen from him in the last month and maybe uh, what what the future kind of holds for him. Not only that, I, I buried the lead, Greg. He got the key to the city of Harrisburg on Monday. You were there for that. But just kind of a, uh, a very, very uh, active six-week span for Michael Parsons. 
Yeah, there's no question about it, Bob. Goes to Cleveland for the draft, spends some time in the green room, maybe a little bit longer than he and his family had anticipated. But I think most people who were following the pre-draft process knew that he kind of answered any questions NFL teams had both on and off the field, either with his pro day performance or during the interviews that happened before and after that event. So You know, Dallas, I think, wisely moves back from number 10. They could have had him at number 10, but they got some future draft uh, things to work with and moved back two spots, had to feel pretty good that Philadelphia, and I believe it was New York, were not going to take him. So, you know, obviously we thought Denver at nine could be a possibility for him. They go with Patrick Sertain, so they went defense. We were right about that. Just didn't see – I didn't see Dallas coming, but you did. I think that was the one on our uh, predictions post you had that I did not have, so credit to you. As you uh, as you look at this Dallas defense with Sean Lee retiring, it certainly uh, you know can use the kind of player, and I don't think a lot of teams could, but it can use the kind of player that Micah Parsons is, and yeah. he's been a lifelong Cowboys fan, so that doesn't hurt. And, you know, he went from Cleveland to Dallas to back here to Harrisburg, and I'm sure he'll be on his way to uh, Dallas again sometime soon. But, yeah, it makes sense for both sides, no question. And it'll be interesting to watch him. And I think what wound up being a lot of 405 national TV games this year. Yeah, and, and I think we talked about it in a podcast. We did a, I think we just did a Micah Parsons podcast before the draft, and I think we hit it at it. Greg, he played, only played two years at Penn State, two years as a linebacker, was a defensive end at Harrisburg High School. I think he played that position at well as well at Central Dauphin, uh, where he began his high school career. I always had the feeling, Greg, and I don't know if you agree, but two years at Penn State, Penn State brings their linebackers along very slowly, especially linebackers who are really just learning the position, which Michael was. Brent Pry is a big, big stickler for fundamentals. And they asked their linebackers to play a certain way. What I'm getting at, Greg, is everyone that had a problem with Micah going early in the draft because he was a quote-unquote off-the-ball linebacker, I'm not sure that in the NFL you're not going to see his skill set maybe utilized a little differently. I think Penn State probably had different plans for Micah had he played in 2020. He was just starting to figure it out as a blitzer and as a pass rusher. I mean, you saw it on full display when they uh, played in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. He was literally a whirling dervish in that game. Spent a good chunk of time in Memphis's uh, backfield. Probably was one of the reasons why Penn State won the game. Greg, I just think that we haven't seen all of his skill set. I think Dallas thinks probably he could do some things that we didn't necessarily see at Penn State. So I think a lot went into that pick. Um by Dallas at number 12. It's not just his size. It's not just his speed, but I think his overall athleticism and versatility, I would have to think you're going to see a little bit different Micah Parsons uh, in the NFL. Yeah, Bob, I don't think there's any doubt about it. They're going to use him in all sorts of ways and in ways that Penn State maybe didn't either feel comfortable using him in or that they didn't uh, feel like he was ready for after just, uh, you know, two years of football. And who knows what we could have saw him do in year three with another offseason, with more time with Brent Pry, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no question that some of the things we see in Dallas will be things that we probably would have seen at Penn State had there not been the shortened season, the opt out and so on and so forth. So looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't Penn State's only first rounder, I think, is worth noting, too. Yeah, so Penn State had a player go at 12, 
And then very late in round one, he began the draft. I'm just going to say it this way. He began the draft as Jason Owe, Penn State's rush edge guy, first team, all Big Ten pick. Athletic Marvel ran sub 4-4 at Pro Day. Uh, it did not take long uh, after the Ravens drafted him. Jason said, that's actually my middle name. My first name actually is, and I, I think I have this right because I, well, I read your story. You had the pronunciation in it uh, the right way. Odafe Owe, I believe, is how you pronounce uh, Jason's actual first and last name. Um, so it'll be interesting. Double O, Penn State actually had a player named Ali Agbu. Uh, a defender so he's not the first player to actually have the initials OO in his name but Odafe Owe to the Ravens correct me if I'm wrong Greg that's the correct pronunciation how do you feel about that fit Owe to the Ravens yeah it makes a lot of sense you know we felt like somebody would fall in love with him potentially late in the first round or very early in the second round it was probably always going to be one or the other, Bob, and for, for Jason, it ends up being the end of the first round with Baltimore. They don't think he's hit his, his ceiling yet or scratched really the surface mm -hmm. of his potential, and that's hard to argue with. So it'll be fascinating to see how that, that coaching staff down there really puts him in position to succeed. This is a guy who, what, five years ago, I guess, started playing football. So, you know, we can sit here and talk about the no sacks in 2020 and that maybe the production mm -hmm. wasn't what everybody wanted it to be on the stat sheet, but this is also a guy who in five years really put a lot of tools yeah. together that, that other players have, have taken years to, to be able to get, you know, in line and, and be able to do at a high level. So good for him. Uh, you're right. I think fans are going to have to get adjusted to his new name or not new name, but the new name he wants to go by his given first name, which he did not use at Penn state because he thought it would be too complicated for people to pronounce, which is unfortunate, but what he told reporters after he was picked. So, yeah, I think that's a logical landing spot for him, Bob, and uh, he should be able to fit right in from day one down there. Becomes a teammate of Trace McSorley. Uh, changes in the air. They drafted him. They had, they announced this position as a linebacker, not as a defensive end. Don Martindale, Baltimore's defensive coordinator, very aggressive play caller. They move players all over their front seven. They blitz safeties. They blitz corners. You know, they do a lot of they do a lot of things up front. Uh, and if anyone has the athleticism to play multiple positions in the front seven, it's probably Odafe Owe. Uh, six four, six five, almost two hundred and sixty pounds. Probably not done filling out. <laughs> His body fat is ridiculously low. I mean, he's just a—he's an incredible specimen. And I think that Baltimore sees a hybrid defender, no question about it, uh, in him. And I, I think you will definitely see him become, if he stays healthy, uh, a very disruptive defender sooner rather than later. He was the second. Penn State player to go in round one. I know you know this, Greg. First time Penn State had multiple first round picks since the 2003 draft. That was my first NFL draft covering Penn State to 2002. This is, I'm just educating you. 2002 Penn State defense was very good. They had four guys, not two. They had four guys going round one. Jimmy Kennedy, Defensive tackle, Michael Haynes, rush end, Bryant, Jones, Bryant Johnson, a wideout, and then very late in round one, Larry Johnson Jr., the son of the line coach, Larry Johnson Sr., was the running back at Penn State and ran for 1,000 yards, also went in round one. 
uh, in 2003. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come for James Franklin and his Penn State program where it's a surprise if they don't have a player go in round one. We can delve into the 2022 draft later. We've already, we've already written something about potential guys that may go. But also Friday started the second round. By the way, are the rounds long enough for you to cover Craig Thursday night? I yeah. think I think those they got to do something about that. You just can't have a you just can't have a seven hour first round. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, I mean, I know it's for TV and everything, but people people want to go to sleep after like ten thirty. Most people do. Yeah, I mean that's the problem, Bob. I mean, Jason or uh, Adafe Owe was picked yeah. at twelve oh six a.m. I mean. Yeah. If you're a Ravens or a Penn State fan, I'm sure you may have liked to see that moment on TV, but I don't know how many people besides us on the East Coast were, were up to watch that. So, yeah, but I think I know where you're going with this. It was a little bit of an earlier night on Friday. Yeah, yeah. They only had one player go. Friday was just the second round, and that was also a long session. But at least Pat Fryermuth, Penn State tight end, one fairly early, I think it was around nine o'clock though, still, or some sometime around nine o'clock on Friday. He heard his name called by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Greg, I think you might remember on his pro day, he talked about even back then in March, the Steelers had a lot of interest in Pat Fryermuth. You know, they had a lot of needs going into this draft, and a lot of people would argue that they maybe passed on some positions of need where there were some good players available, but they got the big runner. Najee Harris in round one to supplement to add to their running game, which was non-existent. And now they got a, they got a, a, one of the top tight ends in the draft, a guy that could do a little bit of everything. Pat Fryermuth goes to the Steelers. He won't have to travel far in round two. No, he will not, Bob. But I know some Steelers fans were not upset with this pick because they don't think Pat Fryermuth could be a good player, but because they felt like, the Steelers had more pressing needs than a tight end who's coming off of a shoulder issue, even though he says he's completely fine. I mean, this is a guy who can be very productive <clears throat> in Pittsburgh for a long time, but I get it. There's a reason tight ends do not typically go this early in the draft, but he apparently, you know, answered any questions teams had about uh, whether or not he had the speed to play at the next level. Yeah. He, I'm sure, ran a taped 40 for teams that didn't get to see him at Pro Day because he wasn't fully recovered with his shoulder yet. So it's a logical fit. Eric Ebron's only there for another year. You would assume Pat Fryermuth could have a long career in Pittsburgh, really kind of become a fan favorite there. Obviously, the easy comparison is to Heath Miller. Uh, you know, there's uh, easy, uh, you know, an easy line to draw there on a number of different fronts. So, Good landing spot for him, and, uh, you know, it keeps that Penn State to Pittsburgh connection alive. And, of course, uh, just one final note on the Steelers, Lamont Wade signing an undrafted uh -huh. free agent deal with them following day three, which uh, also had plenty of Penn State flavor. Yeah, at the very last second. But it, they did, it did have Penn State flavor. One more note on Penn State in the second round. Penn State's been very busy in the second round of drafts during James Franklin's time. We mentioned Frymuth last year. It was KJ Handler, excuse me, Etor Gross Matos. Uh, Miles Sanders to your Eagles went a couple of years ago. Mike Kosicki went to the Dolphins. Even early in Franklin's uh, regime at Penn State, Hacken, Kristen Hackenberg to the Jets. I know the Jets regret that. Was the second round pick. And Austin, Johnson's, Austin Johnson, I think, went to the Tennessee Titans. So just, just a sign that Penn State's Starting to get uh, much more athletic under James Franklin. 
The next step is to get some more first round picks. It could happen next year, Greg, but let's, let's speed ahead real quick to the third round. I, I was a little bit of a head scratcher for me because I, I think you and I both knew, knew that three players were going to go on Saturday, but I, I got it wrong. I thought, I thought for sure two of them would have been mid round picks, uh, Michael Mennett and Shaka Tony. Instead, three Penn State players go, I think it was fairly late in round seven, and they all go in order. It was Michael Mennett, I think Will Fries, and Shaka Tony. Michael Mennett to the Cardinals, coached by Steve, or not coached, the GM is Steve Keim, a Redland graduate. Um, Will Fries went to the Colts as a seventh round pick, and Shaka Tony went to the Redskins. What, what do you make? Is there anything you, you take away from the fact that a couple of those guys uh, probably slid, maybe all three slid, but just, just for them all to go very late in the draft caught me off guard. But do you like anything maybe about the fits? At least maybe they, they, they hooked on with some good teams. Yeah, I really didn't think Michael Mennett would go as late as he did, Bob. I, I don't know. I know that he didn't obviously compete at pro day because of an injury situation and, I didn't really get the sense that that seemed like it took a little bit longer to uh, for him to recover from than maybe people yeah. anticipated. So I guess his tape was not enough to bump him up some, or maybe teams just feared that whatever was going on with him was more long-term than you yeah. uh, would want or expect, but we'll see. Hopefully he gets a, a chance to compete out there at a healthy uh, stage. Cause I think we both agree that he did a lot of good things for Penn state and there's probably more in his future, you know, with Shaka Tony, I would have to think that teams just didn't feel comfortable with whatever fit they thought he was at the next level, whether that's an outside linebacker in a three, four or a rush. end. you know, I just felt teams probably uh, the only conclusion I can draw, because I thought four or five for him made sense. Bob six at the absolute latest. I did not see round seven for him. And the only thing I can think of is teams have questions about whether or not he can keep weight on and whether that will, yeah. how that would impact their future plans for him. So we'll see. He has an opportunity, and that's all he could ask for. And then with Will Fries, you know, he was very much a fringe round seven undrafted free agent guy. So to get a landing spot late in the draft and, and get a chance to make a roster, I think, is a plus for him. So, yeah, all told, I'm a little bit surprised by two of the three with Will yeah. Fries. Not really so much. That kind of went as expected mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, he goes to the Colts. But, you know, we'll see how things shake out from here. Yeah, one one note on on Shaka, he he is a classic tweener at, at two forty, and even you know he, he was a very very productive player at Penn State, especially the last two years. I remember when he flashed in two thousand and seventeen. We were at Northwestern for that game. He was a redshirt freshman. He really disrupted Northwestern's offense. Had a four sack quarter at Indiana in two thousand eighteen, and then in nineteen and twenty, he was a lot more consistent in terms of being disruptive. But I think he hit the nail on the head. His weight is the issue. Greg, I remember, you know, during his time at Penn State, the, 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 the weights and the, the weights for spring would come out and, and he would be all over the place. He could be as low as, you know, in the 220s. He could be over 240 pounds, but he, you never really saw him consistently maybe at one weight. I think, Greg, if, if a team knew he would play at 245 pounds, at the next level and his weight wouldn't vary. I think, I think they would feel better about taking him. It's a, it's a big man's league when you're going to play the positions that he plays. Um, he, he is an athletic player, but 
there's not a lot of 240 pound defensive ends. I think they got to be pretty special uh, to play uh, defensive end at that size. I hope he can put a little bit more more weight on. He certainly knows what he's doing. He's certainly an athlete ran four, five, one at the pro at the pro day really tested. Well, I think he had a 39 inch vertical jump. He is clearly athletic. Washington knows defense. Hopefully they can design a role for him. He, he, you know, he's, he was a very, uh, he was a player that uh, gave all out effort on every snap as well. So I think, I think seventh, the seventh round is a great value for the Redskins to get Shaka Tony. I wish him well. I, I really enjoyed watching him play. So we'll see if maybe he can become maybe one of the steals of the draft. Stranger things have happened. Greg, before we get to this recruiting news, we are more than halfway through our blue-white breakdown, Penn Lines, Penn State football podcast. Greg Pickle and Bob Flounders talking today. Hopefully, we're going to get Dave Jones on a couple of these now that uh, we're out of spring practice. Dustin Hawkinsmith does a lot with uh, the blue-white breakdown, uh, you know, on, on a daily on a daily basis in the morning. So, Greg, we got a lot to get to. But where can the people listen and watch for the blue-white breakdown? And where can they tell us we're doing fantastic jobs? You got it, Bob. Like, rate, and subscribe uh, when you listen to the Blue White Breakdown, which you can find wherever you get your podcast in audio, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and anywhere else you find podcasts, you'll find us. The videos are youtube.com slash State, which are put together by uh, the great Joe Hermit and Mark Pines. And, you know, you can like, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff uh, while you're listening to the show. And, uh, you know, we'll be recruiting heavy, I would think, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, that might be a good segue to, to a, how we'll close things out today. Yeah, and it's been a narrative that uh, we're going to talk about a narrative real quick that's been with James Franklin since he took the job. Um, he uttered the immortal words, dominate the state, right at his very first press conference in January of 2014. You were just a little pup back then, but I know, I believe you were there for it, obviously. But it has been a while since he uttered those words. There's been some good and bad with that, Greg. There's been times where he has been able to secure the services of the top player in Pennsylvania, but unfortunately, it hasn't been every year. And not compounding the problem is when they haven't secured the top player in the state of Pennsylvania, he's gone to a school that usually Penn State is competing against, whether it's Ohio State uh, or, or, or another school. And it looks like that's going to be the case once again. Penn State was in it for one of the top players in is it the 2022 class, Greg? Anaya White, what, what class yes. is he? He yes. is the class of 2022. Yep. They were in it for him. Uh, a lot of people think he's the best player in Pennsylvania for that class, but he cut his list down to the finalists, and Penn State did did not make the cut. Number one. How troubling is this as a as a continuing trend? But also, number two, Greg, did they have a realistic shot at getting him? I don't think so. Even if he would have made or put Penn State into his top eight, I just don't know how good of a chance they had to land him. This goes back to when he shared his official visit plans. Penn State was not on that list. The Lions were listed as a school who could receive an unofficial visit. Clemson was on that list as well. So it's not like it was just Penn State. And, you know, um, long way to go here. Penn State will keep working it. They'll try and get back in the mix here. I don't know if it'll matter. I don't know if they can. 
you know, they've done well in PA so far. They have Anthony Ivy, they have Makai Flowers, they have Bo Perbola. So it's not, and Ken Talley as well from Philadelphia. So it's not the end of the world, but they just don't seem to have great inroads in Philadelphia when the top players in the state are from the Philadelphia area. I mean, you go back to last cycle, Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison, two guys who were St. Joe's prep standouts long ago committed to Ohio state before they ended up there. Um, You know, obviously Julian Fleming went to Ohio state, hasn't uh, really seen the field yet, but we'll see what happens this year. Um, You know, they've just, you know, Deandre Swift, the running back who went to Georgia uh, is now in the NFL is another Philly guy who went Kyle Pitts. out of the state, Kyle Pitts. Yep. You know, they did get John Reed, Chaka Tony, obviously, some other guys. So it's not like they've totally struck out down there. But, yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of – I think the biggest problem Penn State faces with, with some of the top players in Philadelphia is that there's a lot of examples of guys leaving Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. Christian Ballmore, now the latest example, the defensive tackle who uh, was really good at Alabama and now is a pro. Uh, there's guys that leave here and go elsewhere and thrive and succeed and show that you don't necessarily have to stay in state uh, to really make it to the next level. So that's something Penn State would have to keep fighting for. But you know, they'll keep fighting for an eye white too, and we'll see if they can convince him to maybe come back to campus and reconsider things. Yep. One final blue-white breakdown note. How is Lola the Golden Retriever doing in the rain? I haven't asked about her in a while. Everything good with Lola? Yeah, she's a little bit uh, not content with the length of this podcast and is ready to go explore. <laughs> but other than that, all is well. Uh, she enjoyed the draft. You know, the three-day draft <laughs> process is always uh, always one of the longer uh, weekends of the year yeah. for us, but you know, a bunch of Penn State guys going back to back to back at the end of the seventh round was definitely a new one. The draft seems to bring something unexpected every year, be it Trey Abke going in the fourth round or three Penn State guys going with three straight picks yeah. in the seventh round. But it's now behind us and it's on to the rest of May and uh, the start of the May semester. And then, Bob, before we know it, it's going to be recruiting central around these parts for the entire month of June. And I think we're all looking forward to learning what Penn State, yeah, learning what <laughs> Penn State can do uh, with prospects back on campus again. Okay, Greg Pickle, let's a wrap on this edition of the Blue White Breakdown for the first week in May, and we will be back next week with some more Penn State football updates, hopefully some Penn State recruiting news, and hopefully some good news on the Penn State recruiting front.